Kathy Griffin, two-time Emmy Award winner and has the Guinness Book of World Record for most televised comedy specials. You might know her from the television show My Life on the D-List, or more recently, from that controversial photo holding the Trump mask. But she's on a comedy tour right now called the Laugh Your Head Off Tour. See what she did there? And she sat down with us to talk about what happens when everybody you know turns their back on you and how you stage a comeback. This is Chaotic Creative with Kathy Griffin. What is funny, because I think that um, when I see a show, people make fun of me because I don't laugh out loud. I go, hmm, because it was thought provoking. You're disinvited. <laughs> I want you laughing and I want you to pee a little bit. Like a oh. little involuntary oh. pee. Okay. Uh, also, Don't do big that day. Well, I will say though what? that at my shows, I admit, the um, there's always a line in the men's room even during the show. So it's kind of like, my shows are like gay mixers yeah. as well as comedy shows. Okay. But luckily, you know, I do such a long amount of time, like seriously, yeah. I, I did Ottawa, I played Massey Hall in Toronto and Kitchener, and then I'll play the Southern Juve in Cal Calgary and then the Orpheum. And I have been known to go three hours. So take bathroom non -stop. breaks, bring your colostomy bag. You're like Beyonce. Thank you. And You're like white Beyonce, white comedy Beyonce. Bayhive, here <laughs> I am. Bayhive. Daily Hive. Yeah, we should put that on your sign. Please white do. White comedy Beyonce. By the way, do you know that my fan army, you know how there's like the, the Demi Lovatics and stuff? Yeah. My fan army um, self-identifies as the catheters. <laughs> and I'm proud of that, because someday we're all going to need one. Really? In fact, I'll have a sip, sip now of water to just get, get started. Yeah. Get ready for that pee party mm -hmm. in the lineup. <laughs> How has Canada been receiving you and treating you? How is it different than uh, America? Because you wanted to start your tour here. Yes. You did Europe and you're going to North America. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to Canada first. First, Bye. because the day that that photo went live on TMZ, yes. who it was just reported in the Daily Beast today, yeah. that when I said it, what, eight months ago, everyone thought I was crazy because I posted a YouTube video and everyone said, Kathy Griffin's on Hinge. And I revealed Donald Trump talks to Harvey Levin, who's a self-loathing down, not down low, he's an out gay guy, but he's a Republican, which I just want to say gay Republican doesn't, they don't go together, but he's this giant Trump fan. And I knew one of the reasons the picture caused me so much trouble is that Harvey Levin is like a real Trump protectionist. And so the photographer, I don't know why the heck he sold it to, I'm being, can I say hell? Of course you can say Why the hell he sold it to TMZ of all places? Like I thought it was gonna end up in like paper or Vanity Fair or someplace cool. Instead, You're it goes, the photo, the with the photo mask. of the ketchup-y Donald Trump mask. So yes, I, I like to say I'm the crazy red-haired American girl who mm. did the picture. And um, when it went live, honestly, online, the hate and the threats were so intense. I now know, it's been a year, a lot of it was those like bot farms and troll farms and a lot of it was automated and all that stuff. Um, but that Harvey Levin, I believe, played a part in it. And so sure enough, the Daily Beast releases a piece yesterday saying Harvey Levin talks to Trump constantly. And my joke is, how would you feel if my beloved Barack Obama was calling Perez Hilton for advice? Like, I'm sorry, you're the, you're the president. You shouldn't be calling bloggers. Right. So that didn't help. And then the pylon began, honey. It was like everybody turned on me left, right, and center. And, you know, relatives and elected officials. And I had fundraisers in, in my, for them in my home. And friends, you know, people, Don Cheadle, like people I thought, you know, I, were my friends. Were, you know, Anderson Cooper, of course, calling me disgusting online. Like, that one just hurt. That one just was like, you I can't, I don't even have a joke. Friends. That was just like, yeah, I loved him. Like, yeah. I adored him. I also still love his mom. So um, his mom, Valeria Vanderbilt. Yes. And uh, so I, I feel like I kind of lost her too. You know? Is there a, a potential for a reconciliation or is it because of what has happened, you would just be like, you know what? I see 
where the cards have fallen or whatever the you know the word is, and you're like, this not that's the way it is. I don't think Anderson's that type of guy. And also, like remember. Um, Don Jr., as I call him, Eddie Munster. Um, Don Jr., one of the first sons, somehow, he was actually the first one to tweet about the photo. Mm. Then he got his dad, the accidental president, because our real president is named Hillary Clinton. Just FYI, she won. But we got stuck with this guy. Um, and that's really what started it. So what's so crazy is when you think about it, Donald Trump's tweets are, it's almost like they're a television programming device because every time he tweets something crazy, it's breaking news. So when I got fired from CNN, first of all, I only worked there one night a year. Mm -hmm. So when people are like, she lost her most precious job at CNN, no, it was a one it night a year gig. It was my waitress gig I picked up on the weekend. <laughs> I mean, down. I loved doing it, yeah. but I'm not like a CNN reporter, obviously. Right. And then um, that wasn't enough. So Don Jr. tweeted again, I like, we want her banned for life, and Jeff Zucker, the pussy who's in charge of CNN, my old boss at NBC, that piece of shit. Then they made a lifelong ban on me. I'm lifelong banned on CNN. Now, you know, I was at least thinking I could count on them for a good obituary. So I don't even know what that means. It's never happened. This is uncharted territory. The United States, we're living in the upside down from Stranger Things. Canadians, stay here. Just stay here until we, till they're all in prison and then come visit us. Do you think the people in the States and maybe people just in general want to be angry for the sake of being angry to just feel something and they're trying to put it on something that has less stakes? Yes, and first of all, I was a perfect target, right? So all the guys that allegedly made threats towards Trump, like Johnny Depp got drunk in a bar in Dublin, shock. And, you know, of course, he had all the protection of the giant franchise of the Pirates of the Caribbean. A week later, he's, you know, drunk at a hospital taking a picture with his Make-A-Wish kid. Like, I don't know that game. And, you know, Morrissey allegedly made a threat. They didn't call him in. Snoop Dogg, they didn't they call him did in. did that here, that Johnny Depp thing. That's what that was. No, he was in a bar in Dublin, I no, thought. No, no, but the, 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 the hospital thing was here in Vancouver. Oh, really? And I that mean, video come went viral. On. And I was of like, course. what is he doing, huh? I know. Oh. I know. So, no, I mean, like I said, I don't have... I'm a one-man band. I don't have a studio behind me. I don't have a network behind me. Yeah. So I was sort of the perfect person for them to target. And then when the federal investigation started, yes. that has truly never happened in the history of the United States, where a sitting United States president has targeted a citizen, much less a comedian, labeled them as a member of ISIS, like take that in. And my joke is that I don't think I would do very well in the training camp, I'd break a hip. Um, you know, and then people actually believe it. And you know, Fox News is is like state television now, and it's it's honestly it's like a different country than the country where I've been working and living my whole life. It's just insane. It's so insane that it almost left me no choice to go. I have to make this funny somehow, some way. But then why? <clears throat> I think feel like uh, when was the photo? It was almost a year ago. May thirtieth, twenty seventeen. I'll never forget the date. So, like a year, just two days short of a year. Yeah. Why now? There's two questions I want to ask is like, how do you stage a comeback? But also now that you're back on the platform and people are like slowly bringing you back in. Slowly. Why? But not the Canadians. They were the first. I just honestly, I have to give a shout out yeah. because I, when it first happened, like actually my boyfriend and tour manager, Randy, who's here, he, he put me on a media blackout because it was so bad and everyone, you know, the death threats were so intense. And yet, I swear, Canada, the Canadians, more than any country in the world, day one was going, what, what's all the fuss about, eh? Come over here. <laughs> and, I, and I always thought about that. And so I thought, well, if I do the North American leg of the tour, which I'm so happy to be doing here, I'm not crazy. I'm not starting in Knoxville, Tennessee. I'm going to Canada where they get it. Why? Um dig deeper with the truth, like, you know, giving out Harvey Levin's 
phone number or keep talking about Trump. Is because that, he like, had the nerve. Harvey your... Levin had the nerve to call me on my personal cell phone. Who does he think he is? So mm. I thought, I'm going to dox your ass and watch it. And he should. He should watch his back. Mm. And by the way, that's not a threat. Don't arrest me. Stop detaining me at airports. But, but do you I have like, a concern about that when you say these kind of incendiary things that um, you're fanning the flames? Is that doing good? Or are you, um, like, one of the things I think was, like, Janet Jackson in the Super yeah. Bowl thing. S separate thing. But I always wondered why she just didn't be like, okay, we planned it. Get over it. Right? You know? She should have thrown Justin under the bus, too. Exactly. Like, like I still am not over that. I just want you to know. Like, Me number neither. one, I don't forgive him for, I think he screwed up Britney. I really do. And I knew them when they were together. I did, yeah. like, a couple gigs with them, like, yeah. when I hosted the Billboard Awards and stuff. Yeah. And I'm not saying Britney is the sharpest tool in the box. And we don't need her to be. Yeah. We have to accept Britney for who she is today. Yes. Thank yeah. you. Right. Um, but, yeah, I felt like the wardrobe malfunction... Janet Jackson sort of tried to dance around that. And so I'm just being completely honest about everything. Mm -hmm. Number one, honestly, and I have performed in Iraq and Afghanistan for mm -hmm. the troops. Yeah. And when the vets turned on me, that really hurt because I, I didn't walk the walk. I, I Wait, I don't talk the talk, I walk the walk. Right. I performed at Walter Reed Medical Center. I've performed in Uzbekistan for the troops. And if you think Trump can find any of those places on a map or has been there, no. And so I thought the idea that, you know, people would make the connection between a Halloween mask with ketchup on it and like an actual decapitation, that's the thing that made me do the, I call it the one day apology, because I felt sorry for one day. But when Rosie O'Donnell, who's a dear friend of mine and has been trolled by Trump more than anyone, I mean, she's the preeminent expert. He's been going after her for 10 years. And when she called me and she said, what if Daniel Pearl's mother saw that photo? Then I said, oh my gosh, okay. And honestly, like several people had to tell me that people actually do think I'm in ISIS and I'm promoting decap decapitation and stuff like that. So I admit it took me a couple of hours to go, no, no, this will be over in two seconds. I've done controversial things my whole career. And then when it became so real that news organizations, not just Fox fake news, were saying you know, that I was almost glorifying something so heinous, then I thought, oh my gosh. So when I talk about the apology, honestly, it was literally a narrow apology because I've been in those zones and I've never witnessed anything that heinous. But when I realized later, I started honestly asking people, like, what was it that made you think that I was somehow glorifying decapitation? And do you know what I heard more than anything? I heard so many, I didn't hear from a single woman. I heard guys say, well, have you ever seen a real decapitation? I said, no. And I, they're like, well, they're horrible. And I said, well, of course I, you know. And I go, how did you see one? Every single one of them goes, I saw them online. And I went, wait a minute, I'm not apologizing to a bunch of sickos that go online and watch actual decapitations. Mm -hmm. So that's when I took it all back. When I started to get the idea like, okay, now like TMZ was recording my tour cancellations in real time. That's never happened. And every theater I was supposed to play, I was in the middle of a 50-city tour. I had 25 shows coming up. They were all getting bomb threats. I didn't know till months later they were robocalls. So the Trump folks, they really do have a machine and an apparatus that had been in place prior to me just for other politicians. Remember Lion Ted and Little Marco. So I was the first celebrity that they decided to put through what I call the Trump wood chipper. And I'm just not having it. So I'm gonna unship myself right back, right back uh, on stage where I belong. And it's been hard because um, my representatives all ditched me mm -hmm. and I had to bite and scratch. And I had my own representative saying, you know, you can never play Carnegie Hall again. And I started a mailing list, an old timey mailing list, mm -hmm. go to kathygriffin.com. Yes. And really through my mailing list, I sold out Carnegie Hall in less than 24 hours.
Why and that come gave back? me hope. Why come back now? I think the quote was, you, you said this, you told the Hollywood Reporter, go away for five years. I was like, I'll tell you what, you go away for five years. Um, but then instead you went overseas and you uh, mounted I, this tour. Yeah. Why not five years? Why not? Why did you come back now? What was because the catalyst for now? I knew the story was so prescient. I knew that in, in this ever-changing news cycle, I really felt if this could happen to me, it could happen to you. Mm. And that was a message that I thought should be heard in the United States first, and they wouldn't let me. And so I thought, well, you know, let me see where, if I can go to countries where I know they don't like Trump. And my favorite part is that that tour was put together in two weeks mm. because it was quite easy to find 15 countries and 23 cities where I can go and do my job and stand there as an American. And frankly, overseas, they loved hearing an American come over there and say, I get it, he's nuts. You know, this is not who we are. We are not a nation of racists. There is a small group of people he has tapped into, and now they have this, you know, literally a license to kill. And also, I was under, and still am under, such severe death threats. Like, I found out I'm on a brand new kill list. And what does that mean? A government agency contacts my lawyer, and they say, and I can't say the agency because it's an ongoing investigation, and they say, okay, she's on another kill list. And they um, don't give you any more information, and they, you know, so I don't know where that investigation stands. So at any moment, you know, I don't know what could happen to me. And that alone is so extreme. And once again, keeping in mind, I'm a 57-year-old comedian, like not a threat to anybody, unless you don't like cursing, then I'm definitely a threat. I thought this is a story that needs to be told. And I just started to try to put it through my own comedic prism because I'm such like a stand-up psycho. All I do all day is think of how can I make things funny? How can I make things funny? And I was thrilled to start going overseas. I started in Auckland, New Zealand, and I ended up in Reykjavik, Iceland, and I sold out the Sydney Opera House. And even along the way, I picked up more story for the act, meaning I'm always gonna tell the Trump stuff because honestly, no matter where I go, they wanna hear about Anderson turning on me. They wanna hear about the actual interrogation. So I actually take about 10 minutes in the show to take the audience inside that room because that was really scary. I mean, it was real. It was hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. And I, th I started thinking, you know, the people that come to my shows, if you're a mom and you have a 13-year-old kid and they put that picture on Twitter, they shouldn't be on the Interpol list. Mm. So I was detained at every single airport. I was detained at the Singapore airport. And I'm thinking, I got a show at 8 o'clock. And yet I was too frightened to say, like, why am I being detained at any of the airports? I still am. So it's still ongoing. And so I love when people say you're coming back and I don't mean to belabor the point, like, well, it's kind of still happening. But luckily, people are starting to realize the insanity of it. So for example, the Daily Beast doing that article about TMZ, everybody thought I was so crazy when I went on YouTube and said, no, it's crazy. The Trump, you know, this presidency, they talked to the National Enquirer. They hired a guy from Dancing with the Stars, Rick Perry, to be the Secretary of Energy. So all of that is so nuts that I like to put it in context. And I also like to openly explain to folks, this honestly, this is new to us. Like it really did start with the Trump campaign. And while the underbelly of America is what the world is seeing, um, you know, I still want to go out there and say, look, it's this group of people, not unlike Watergate. And so we fixed that problem. So I have hope and optimism that they're all going to go to prison. And we want to get back to a nation that makes some kind of sense. For you, what did it look like rock bottom? Because from the outside, we can be like successful comedian, so many awards, Guinness World Record for like the most Writing televised. Writing and producing the more stand-up televised comedy specials than any comedian, male or female. So huge fan base, 
and we think, got a lot of money. But what does rock bottom look like for you? What did it look like for you? And what did it take to turn that around to be like, no, I want to do my art, I want to do my craft. I want to work. I'm a normal person who wants to work. Mm -hmm. And my job happens to be stand-up comedy. But, you know, the one and only Joan Rivers was truly a dear friend and a mentor. And we talked shop all the time. And um, there's a do great documentary about her called A Piece of Work, where mm. she has her um, empty calendar. And I feel the same way. Rock bottom for me is not working. I love to work. So when, when you mentioned the thing, you know, I think Sharon Stone said, leave the country for eight years. And I think Paul Rubens, Pee Wee Herman, of course, who's been in scandal, no, leave the country for five years. And I'm negotiating with my friends. I go, you leave. I said, I don't think I should have to leave the country. I didn't break the law. And so then I was determined to just try to work it out in my head. So I'll be honest, I pretty much didn't leave my house for two months at first. And the death threats were so intense and they were coming to my home personally. People would come to my home. And a lot of threats came through the old timey, old fashioned mail, not just online. So on one hand, I was being investigated by two federal agencies. On the other hand, believe it or not, the FBI was doing their job and calling me and saying, you know, they would call say, Miss Griffin, you know, there's a new, what they call a credible threat. And they would—they were actually quite helpful. So it was such a you know mixed message, upside down world that I thought, well, that's the, that's something I know how to deal with. I can make crazy stuff funny, and I just started to try to think of how to make it even relatable. Mm -hmm. So it's not just my story, but like I said, think about if you had posted that photo, and the idea that people thought it was a head. I don't—I don't have any heads in my garage. Oh, can I tell you something though? Mm -hmm. And I I'm, I'm, hope you think this is funny. I don't mean to offend anybody. Uh -oh. People will not stop mailing me Bibles. <laughs> now, I'm not a religious person, don't judge. But I'm like, it's gonna take a lot more than that to fix me, okay? I am vulgar and I was born this way. And I now have like a basement full of Bibles. My mother you couldn't be happier. I don't, know, what, I, I don't know if you can throw can't away a Bible. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, you're you right, should. I should donate, donate. Yeah. Yes, yes. But first I have to make sure I have to open them, make sure there's no anthrax inside. You know, that's my day now. Yeah. Um, you talk about this living next to the Kardashian West, but joke aside, was there something there that having the opportunity to be next to these people who survived scandal and yes. be like, they're just walking around, walking their baby. If they can be fine, Maybe I can turn things around? Yes. Does that suddenly and have a influence? I want, I want my longtime followers to know that I haven't sold out. But mm. honestly, after a year of the Trump psychos like threatening to slice and dice me and kill me in every way, yeah. then I realized the Kardashians, who I've lovingly been just calling dirty whores for 10 years, I realized they're merely stupid and materialistic. I'll take it. But they're actually very sweet. And in fact, the night that picture went live, I happened to be having dinner at my house with Kris Jenner and Academy Award nominee Melanie Griffith. And I could have been with two better women, honestly, because Kris Jenner the whole time, she was eating and she's like, apologize. The kids and I do it all the time. Just apologize. And Melanie Griffith was the devil on my shoulder, and I love her. And she's going, do Mike Pence tomorrow. Do Mike Pence. And so I was actually glad to be in the company of women that were like, okay, we can talk. You can stop crying for a minute. Let's have a meal. And yeah, living next door to Kim and Kanye. I know it sounds crazy, but they were fantastic neighbors. They moved two months ago, and I missed them because, you know, their lives are so high octane in public that you know, maybe early on when I was making fun of them, they kind of spent time worrying about me or hating on me. But now, like, we get along fine. They, they got battles with Taylor Swift and pe people bigger than me. So they were, like, honestly, there were times I'd go over there and i talk about that in the show. Because mm. don't act like you don't want to know. I do. Okay, do you, can I tell, just tell you one juicy thing? Yes. Okay, you know what they have at their house? What? They have the real mannequins from that video, Famous. 
Remember the video Kanye did where all the mannequins are in bed together? Yeah. Like, they, they have it in, like, a bedroom? Yes! Hey, yes, honey, you've got to come see my show. So they just like open the, they go live? Do they, do they I was use like, the room? Should I take home the Caitlyn? And by the way, yeah. you know what else I love? And I okay. just, because the act isn't all Trump. It's not a lecture about the First Amendment. Yeah. But I'm having a lot of fun because when Caitlyn transitioned, I thought, being a longtime ally of the LGBTQA2345 mm. community, <laughs> um, you know, I thought, oh no, there's here's the most famous trans person, and I'm not going to be able to make any jokes. And luckily, she's such a stupid asshole. I'm thrilled. It's like comedy heaven. She's a Trump supporter. Like when Caitlyn Jenner went to Trump Tower thinking she was going to change Trump's mind, I was like, girl, there's no hope. And also watching, I watched the reality show, I Am Kate, and all those transgender women surrounding her that were so accomplished and smart. And then Caitlyn Jenner's just like, Tom Ford sent me a handbag and just checking your Twitter. So I'm so happy to be able to make fun of things that are sort of verboten. And that's what I do. And if I go too far, I do all the time. I, my joke is I cross the line, then I move it, and then I try to cross it again. And I just think that's the job of comedians. Do you think that there is a line for comedians, or is that the case that uh, it is always the job to be thought-provoking and push the boundary? You know what? And what I, do you think of the people who don't? Uh, okay. I'll be honest. I think I'm not, believe it or not, I'm not a comedy snob. Meaning, you know, people pick on, you know, Carrot Top because he's a prop comic. Mm -hmm. Well, I've seen Car Carrot Top like really kill like many times. Mm -hmm. Like his fans love him. And then you have Ellen, who by the way hates me. But Ellen, you know, who doesn't curse and she's not vulgar and she's squeaky clean. Great. She's super funny. She doesn't write her material, but she's super funny. I write all of mine. Anyway, <laughs> oh yeah, I named it. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good show, right? And that's why I go long. That's yeah. why I go long, because I have a lot to say. And so I do believe there's room for every kind of comedian. I personally, this is the only kind of comedian I know how to be. Yeah. You know, I grew up in an Irish Catholic family, all alcoholics. I've never had a drink in my life, so I've just been able to observe them and make fun of them. And never a drink. Ne I've never had one drink in my life. Never, like, desired to? Do you think I need to loosen up? Can you imagine if I had even one drink? Like, forget it. I'll put myself in jail. And so, so yes, I've been the observer ever since I was a little kid. So I personally like the kind of comedy that makes you think. I, I enjoy a gasp. You know, sometimes mm. I'll say something just to hear a gasp. Mm. And I've been doing it so long. I've done corporate gigs. I've done, um, you know, crazy little coffee houses. I've done the theater inside Madison Square Garden. Like, I'm going to play Radio City Music Hall, 6,000 seats. I've done Rama Casino. I've done all kinds of audiences. And I can sort of feel that moment of, okay, it's time to shake them up. So, yeah, that's probably how I started saying things that were like a little more shocking than your average female comedian. How do you find comedy as therapy to get rid of anger, to get rid of thoughts you're having, to move through darkness yeah. um, and bring lightness? Uh, how does that work for you? I think I learned that from doing stand-up for um, the troops. Mm. And when I went to Afghanistan off camera, I learned that um, when you're performing for the troops in that dire situation, they don't want the soft stuff. And they are in a life and death situation every single minute. And I did one show actually in Iraq where after a while they, I was on stage and they had to put all the lights off because there were some uh, enemy planes going over. over. And so we literally 5,000 troops and I was in the wings. We waited it out and then the lights came back on and I continued the show. 
I'm not going to do a joke about the difference between puppies and kittens. I'm going to go in hard. So I was making fun of the generals, and I thought, I'm going to get in so much trouble. But the audience liked it. And they're the board of directors. You know, I'm toxic on television. I can't get arrested on television. I've got two Emmys. I'm a producer. I'm an eight-time nominee. But no, I'm so dangerous in Hollywood. Nobody will do a special with me anymore. None of that stuff. So I thought, well, I'm going to do live performing as much as possible. And this whole experience has basically made me worse, meaning I think we're in times where I don't necessarily think it's the best time to be a safe comedian. You know, um, I think that people are f frightened around the world and having just traveled the world, everybody stopped me and they hear my American accent. And everywhere I went, whether there was Antwerp or uh, Stockholm or anywhere, you know, people would come up and hear my accent and they would just stop me on the street and say, what is going on over in America? What's going on? Should we go there? Is it safe there? And I'd say, well, if you're a person of color, probably not. If you're Muslim, no, I would not go. Like, I'm honest with people. And then, you know, maybe I'll give them a joke on the way out or something, but I believe you can really mix the two. And so um, I got, uh, I've talked about this before, but I got a really helpful phone call from Canada's own Jim Carrey. Yes, And that was really that. moving for me because honestly, I, I really barely know him. Yeah. And he called me that day and it was such a low day. And like Senator Al Franken had called me and said, you know, I can't be associated with you anymore. And I was gonna host two book events for him. And you know, that was hard. And, and so many people that I knew turned on me. And Don Cheadle, who I thought was a friend, tweeting and, and Anderson tweeting, I'm disgusting. Everybody turned on me. You know, I'm not the Dixie Chicks, but the artistic community wrapped their arms around me and put me on the cover of Time and Entertainment Weekly. Everybody, just my agents, everybody, all the ones that have been taking the money all these years, they all flew the coop. So it was really meaningful when he called and I was sobbing and, you know, I said, you know, I'm a big girl, Jim, tell me, is it over? And he said, no. He goes, Kathy, you're the most famous comedian in the world today. And I was sobbing. I said, for all the wrong reasons. And he said, no. He goes, think about it, work on it. He goes, most comedians would give their right arm to have this story. He said, you have a story that's personal. It's about the most insane, you know, I, I hate to even use the word president that we've ever had. And this is a situation where the administration, including the Department of Justice, has basically placed their thumb on your entire life. My mom got death threats in her retirement village. My sister got death threats. She passed away from cancer during all this. She got death threats in the hospital. And so for him to say, process it, but find a way to make it funny. And that, you know, I, I think I hopefully would have done that inherently, but hearing it from someone like him, someone who's biggest star in the world and has done every kind of amazing, dramatic, comedic work you can imagine, I really took that in and I thought, okay. So while I kept thinking that while I had every other celebrity saying, you know, leave the country and you're toxic and you're dangerous. And to this day, to this day, I don't have a publicist. I don't have an agent. I know, when we called, they're like, we parted ways with her. And I was like, what? Oh, don't you love that? We parted ways with her. We took her money all yeah. those years, but we parted ways with her now. So thank goodness for live touring. And I admit, look, I am thrilled to be back on the road, but I'm not kidding. I'm getting a fifth of what I got before this photo, a fifth. Because every place I play, you know, they're like, you're lucky to be here, you know? So that's why I'm hustling so much to sell out. And I was so thrilled to sell out Massey Hall. I haven't even played Massey in like six years. And I sold out, you know, Ottawa. I think I'm about to sell out Vancouver. Calgary, Kitchener, I didn't sell out, but I did pretty well. Calgary, I'm hoping to get there. And I'm putting my hustle on day in and day out. And I like even the, this part I love. I love the whole thing. I love the interviews. I love the actual comedy. I love taking pictures with people. I love the whole thing, talking about my mom. 
who's, by the way, a much bigger celebrity than I am. Just so you know, my mother Maggie um, is halfway through a box of wine right now, wherever she is. And, and she's a celebrity because of the D-list. And you yes. were saying, like, we were saying before this interview started, that this would have been a great season, a comeback season of the show. And what can you tell us about, like, how that went when well, you were, oh, like, you mean because you, you thought Andy Cohen was going to rehire me for Bravo? Please. Well, we knew that was going to happen. Yeah, that one turned on me, too. But, no, I, I mean, I haven't had my own television show in three years. I was at Bravo, and I don't I actually don't know if the D-list was on Bravo here or Slice or what, but in the actually, States it was either. on Bravo. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, they had never even done a stand-up comedy special before I told them how to do one. Right. And then I did several there, and I'm very proud of my life on the D-list, and I had a talk show there for two years. And so when I got fired from Bravo, I had the, that had been my home for a long time, and prior to that, NBC, which owns Bravo, and so the current head of CNN, Jeff Zucker, it was part and parcel of the whole banning of Kathy Griffin. And the idea that I'm banned for life from CNN is just funny. Like, granted, they did it that day, and I, hopefully even they feel stupid, but how do you ban someone from a news channel? And my joke is, what about the obituary? Like, come on, even that day? <laughs> so I gotta find the humor in anything and everything because it's the reaction was so over the top. And now that the world is seeing Trump's actual policies, mm. I'm getting a lot more people going, maybe the Kathy Griffin picture wasn't that bad. Maybe we kind of overreacted. Maybe we should give her a chance. And I'm just asking for a chance. Do you feel that you were ahead of your time? When we look now, the Weinstein. Ahead of my time. Me too. You made a pun. Ahead of my time. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I should have named it to her. I'm ahead of my time. Of Next tour, Kathy Griffin's still ahead of her time. Come on, come on, high five. Thank you. Uh. See? You can, you're like, while, while you're talking to me, frankly, I'm like half you're, you're listening. Shit. You're like, I'm, I'm, take, I'm take this up. <laughs> Thank you, Zane. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Uh, I'll tag you. I'll tag you. <laughs> please, please do. But what do you think about that? That uh, say if you did it now, uh, people would be like, she's on board. Right? Or do you think that maybe what you did was a catalyst for people to be like, maybe they didn't think it was funny, but they thought it thought-provoking, and they're like, wait, yes. what does this mean? Because I'll tell you why. Because now more and more people say, well, you kind of like took a picture that a lot of people almost wish had, they had taken. Remember, it was a mask. So I'm certainly never going to promote like actual promotion of violence and all that stuff. I'm not a violent person. Like I said, I've never been arrested, none of that stuff. And it was pre-Weinstein. It was pre-Me Too. It was pre-Time's Up. And um, yes, it was ahead of its time, as you would say. And it was graphic, but I actually thought, number one, I really, really didn't think anyone would associate that with ISIS or that I would be an ISIS or Al-Qaeda. Like, I still have to laugh at that one. Um, and also, I just thought people would think he deserved it. I mean, he. what I love is that Hillary Clinton actually did a podcast. I'm so, was like so flattered by this, where she said, I can't get over all this fuss about the Kathy Griffin picture. It was obviously a send up of Perseus and Medusa. And I thought, oh, I wish I was that smart because I was just thinking of. Well, that's where you got it from. Right? Hillary I stole it from her. That I stole it from her. I was like, ooh, look at her. And I sound so intellectual when yeah. I say that. Yes, I'm spoofing Perseus and what is it? Medusa. Yes. <laughs> yes, Hillary. Correct. And really, I was thinking of when he said to the, the female newscaster, there was blood coming out of her eyes, blood coming out of her wherever. And I thought, well, let's make blood come out of his wherever. And, you know, I had a very stoic look on my face. And as you know, I'm very animated. And I wore like this high collar, you know, not, not a pussy bow. They didn't even have pussy bows then, frankly. 
But I wore even an outfit that was atypical to anything people had seen me in. And I thought people would at least understand if it wasn't a joke, it was a statement. Mm -hmm. So for it yes. to be, quote, taken seriously, meaning, you know, Sean Hannity is saying I'm an ISIS, then it was it was quite shocking. And when it happened in such an extreme way so quickly, like to have to lose your life in 24 hours and to not have broken the law and have, you know, Fox News and Breitbart, Breitbart and all the right wing nut jobs, you know, now they scream, lock her up about me. And I go, well, I didn't break the law. Not that Hillary did either. But, you know, sort of to be sort of put in that company, I went, no, no, no. I want to be in the company of Colin Kaepernick who is, as you know, an American football player who takes a knee. And now the NFL has this dumb policy where they're going to, supposedly they're going to give him a penalty. But, you know, I don't want to be in the category, frankly, of someone like Billy Bush, who, yes, he got fired after the Access Hollywood tape with a $9 million severance package from NBC. So fuck him and the horse he rode in on. I um, never got a nine cent severance package and I've been fired more than I've been hired. So, you know, I'm trying to actually say something, which is, you should be able to say this. This last time, as my mother would say, last time I checked, this was America. But really, it wasn't that photo. You could hate it all you want, and I totally get that. I don't mind when people say they hated the photo, but ultimately, I have to stand by it because it really is covered by the First Amendment, and all those people that came at me, certainly the Department of Justice, they knew that. They knew that. They just knew Amer Americans were just so easy to get riled up. And also, like the president is involved in a very, very serious criminal investigation where I think 14 of his cohorts have already been indicted. So they still go back to the Kathy Griffin picture well when he's having a bad day. So when the investigation with Mueller heats up, they'll bring up Colin Kaepernick again. They'll bring me up again. So I'm now on like the list of like go-tos if Trump is having a bad day. And to hear that, you know, TMZ is in on it and the National Enquirer, which once again was always like a guilty pleasure, but they're in the business of protecting Trump and his indiscretions. Oh, you know my, my new favorite hero? Yeah. President, future President Stormy Daniels. Huh? President Stormy, I can't wait, 2020. I donated to her legal defense fund. Yeah. Love her. Why not? Why not have a freaking sex worker stripper president? Be better one than the one we have now. And help her get her voice out there. What do you say to artists who uh, want to use their voice, but there's repercussions, uh, loss of sponsorship, loss of yeah. uh, opportunities, uh, friends, um, allies. Yeah. How, what would you recommend to people to be like, say true to your voice and get through those hard times. You, you actually said it perfectly, and I say exactly that. I say, I believe really strongly, you should do what you think is the funniest. And I, I would, you know, I used to teach improv classes. That was my day job for many years at the Groundlings. Oh, the yeah. Groundlings is like a improv company like Second City. Right. And, um, you know, when I would say, when I was a teacher, I would say to my students, don't do what you think I will think is funny, do what you think is funny. So I think for any comedian, if you're really being true to what is making you and your head laugh, and if it's stuff like I do, which is vulgar, controversial, whatever label you want to put on me, but if the audience is laughing and you like doing it, that's the deal, like that's the win. And so I'm so grateful to be back on the road because I say to every show, you guys are the board of directors. And it's so great to have that creative freedom. So I would say to any comedian as well, 
you know, no matter what happens, try to always perform live. Like that's one of the reasons I respect Bill Maher is, you know, he, he does his show, but he still actually goes on the road because, you know, it's a muscle. And I always say, stay true to yourself, do the stuff you think is funny. And the great thing about audiences, they'll let you know. And I've heard it all. I've heard, I've bombed when it's silent. I've, you know, I've had people walk out. I mean, I've had every experience in stand-up you can imagine. Um, I had, I had one guy almost tackle me on stage because he wanted to, me to sign his book. <laughs> you know, like all kinds of crazy things because I've been doing it so long. But because I've been doing it so long, you know, I talk about my age all the time, 57. And I want people to know this is a job that as a female, I mean, that was one of the great things my beloved Joan Rivers taught me. You know, she did it li like literally till the day she died. And she did it till she was 80 years old. And I, I had seen her live so many times, but one thing I always admired was, I don't know if you ever saw Joan live or if you ever had that opportunity. As she got older, I swear her shows got edgier. She gave less fucks. She gave less fucks, and I don't have one fuck left to give. And one of my Twitter followers, who I call catheters, um, someone called me the mayor of Zero Fucksville. And I said, I tweeted in the back and I said, can I use that? I put that now on my header on Twitter, the mayor of Zero Fucksville. Because when you've been through something like this, I don't have a fuck left to give. I just want to make people laugh and get the story out there. And I'm picking up a lot of comedy along the way. So that's fun too. So for example, I have a great story in the act about running into Stevie Nicks, who is like a friend and like supportive and called me and she said, I've been thinking about you and I've been worried about you. So my boyfriend, Randy, who's my tour manager and 18 years younger, Get don't that. you judge, Get don't that. you judge, don't judge. you even think Applaud. about it. Thank you, thank you. Uh, and so he arranged this really cool thing where I was performing at the Sydney Opera House, perhaps you've heard of it, and Stevie was at like this giant stadium so we couldn't see each other's shows, mm -hmm. but I got to go to her sound check and just hanging out with her backstage and Chrissy Hines, so I put that story in the show. And you know, look, I'm here in Canada and anything can happen that can be in the show that I'm gonna do Thursday or the show I'm gonna do Saturday, and I love to keep it fluid as the young gays say, LGBTQA, yes. L all the catheters. We, all the catheters. That's right. Um, and I like, and I think it's good to have the material be ever evolving. And like I said, all the years I've been doing stand up, never in such a not just politically charged environment, but there's such an environment in the in the states of genuine fear and anxiety. And I'm sure you guys have heard about this, but Starbucks is having like white people call the police on black people in Starbucks. Like, just so you know, honestly, that's new. And I'm not saying that Jim Crow didn't happen. What I'm saying is, in our eight years with my beloved Barack Obama, I think the country collectively thought we are finally progressing. We are finally moving in the right direction. And then boom, here comes this criminal orange Cheeto who decides he wants to go back to, of all of them, the Nixon era. Like it would have been crazy if he had gone back to even the George W. Bush era, but to go back now to- Now looks like, like so progressive. Oh my gosh, he looks so sane, You're right? Like the Bushes were so good. Right, uh, they, they only got us into one unnecessary war, I'll take it, because now we have like Trump threatening nuclear war constantly because he might go to jail and his lawyer, and I don't know if the Canadians are familiar with all the players, but like Trump's lawyer, Michael Cohen, is a comedian's dream. I mean, the way he talks, he's got like the accent like this, I'm the fixer. I'm the president's fixer. Okay, he's probably facing like 20 indictments. They say he could be looking at, you know, literally a lifetime in jail. I won't flip, I'm, I still, I'm, I'm uh, loyals to him. Like he can't even speak English, like, you know. So there's all these other characters that are emerging and it's now become, as you know, a global story. And like I said, when I was overseas, I hate to say it, but Trump leads the news there too because 
They don't want the Paris Accord to fall apart. They don't want NAFTA to fall apart. They don't want the Iran nuclear deal to fall apart. So I just went, okay, what kind of comedian is gonna stand on stage and act like everything's okay? Well, not this one. So I just love just telling, tell, just calling people out. And, you know, I even, I mean, this might sound a little dark. I even read one of my death threats on my live show, in my live show, because the Trump fans maybe aren't so good with the grammar. And sometimes they're so over the top, you just have to laugh. You know what, I think that um, it's interesting that you're using your voice to do this. And for what you've been through, um, it's like, with Donald Trump, it's like we look at him when you just said, do we know about that? I know my politics from Saturday Night Live because it's so ripe yeah. for comedy and that you're standing up and doing that. But what I thought was really interesting is that now you're doing this show and even though you're getting paid one-fifth of you were before, people are paying attention because you're making money now. So they're like, oh, now I'm gonna pay attention because how I got this before. Mm -hmm. But what I love is that you have now leveled up. You get to see where people stand and who your true allies were and all your fans, the catheters, as the you catheters. call them, get to now come and see you and support you. And I love that you're calling your own shots. So. I, look, first of all, I have no choice. You know what I mean? Nobody came to the rescue. No studio, no big producer, no, none of my friends that are powerful. Nobody lifted a finger. People were nice. And I, look, I got a lot of support. I got a lot of phone calls. But when I say lifted a finger, there are so many people that I have done benefits for, that I have showed up at their event, that I have hosted, done gigs for free. And when I really needed them to just put me in an episode of a television show, give me 10 pages in a film, something to make it, you know, like, it's just Kathy that's been around doing television for decades. Like, you guys know me. And so that's been a hurtful thing. But luckily, the stage show is where people know I'm just going to let, let the fur fly, not hold back. And you're right, I'm doing it for a fifth of the money because, and I'm not complaining, I'm glad to be making any money. But it's also just important to me to show the world uh, a president or administration shouldn't be able to decimate a human being. So like I said, you can like my comedy or not, but I want, especially younger folks, younger up and coming comedians, certainly females or LGBT folks, it's important to me that they see that that 57 year old bird would not be taken down. And that was one thing that I definitely learned from my good friend Joan. And I think about Joan Rivers every day because nothing really got her down. And when people saw her survive all those highs and lows, it did make her funnier, it did make her stronger. And I do love that when she passed away, I love that she was on top and she was doing what she loved. And, you know, I think it's important. I mean, I'm no role model, obviously, but I, I, I crumbled so hard. And I don't know if you saw that disastrous press conference with that idiot Lisa Bloom, who was like, in my opinion, the worst lawyer ever. And I, you know, it turned out to be like an infomercial for her. And I was, it was literally like two days after the picture and I was crying and, you know, it was just a disaster. And I own that, like, it's very embarrassing. <laughs> but I want people to know, like, okay, then I got a good attorney and then I slowly came back and I started writing. And, you know, we were, we were talking off camera about how um, I pitched an unscripted show of the last year of my life. Every single person said no. And what I found out is that the, I call them the check signers. Like, if I would pitch to two very high level women at a network or a streaming service, and they'd be, I could tell they were excited, but there'd always be some 65 year old white guy that's been keeping me down my whole career saying, you can't do it. It's the same guys are still calling the shots. And so, yes, I think you're right. The wines, the fact that it was pre Weinstein, pre Me Too, there's now a much higher level of awareness. But I will also be honest, I'm not, I, I can't, I can't like, you know, soften it up. It really is the same old white boys club that is running the show. And that's another reason I am determined 
to do show after show and they didn't want me to play Radio City and I bit and I scratched for it. And I, at this point, I am playing it for free. Mm. I'm not kidding, I had to front the money myself and I haven't sold enough tickets, I haven't sold out. And if I sell out, I'll make a little and I'll be thrilled about that. Dave Chappelle made $400,000 for one night. But you know what? I don't care, I will do whatever it takes. And when I sold out Carnegie Hall in less than 24 hours, it was interesting, the powerful men in the business, instead of getting behind me, because I've always been an earner, you know, I've made probably about $75 million in my entire career. So when you think about all these agents taking their 10 and 15% and the nerve of those bastards to not be there for me, then I thought, okay, I'll do Radio City for free. I don't care if I don't make a penny because I love doing it. So I started a mailing list and you can make fun of me because it's old timey and I should have thought of it 20 years ago. But honestly, I have been selling tickets by people going to kathygriffin.com and signing up for a mailing list where it's through MailChimp, but you get an email from me saying like, do you want to come see me in your town? And so that's how the current North American tour became routed is it was wherever I got the most emails saying, yes, we want you to come to our town. So um, although there was never like never a question about Canada. And once again, I just thank you Canadians, the first country, the first nation full of people saying, come up here, we get it, we can handle it, we know your gig, we know your shtick. And so when I was actually gonna start the tour, I think in Chicago, cause I'm from there. And I was like, you know, Illinois is a kind of a purple state, it's pretty blue meaning progressive. Mm -hmm. And I was frankly, I was afraid to play my own hometown, you know, because it, you know, these Trump folks, it's like a, a cult. And it's probably only, you know, a quarter of Americans, but that's still too many to be believing the crazy stuff that they believe. So I was like, oh no, I'm not crazy. I'm starting in Canada. So I'm so thrilled and honored. And the audiences so far have been outstanding. You know that, you know that I accidentally did three hours at Massey Hall. Accidentally? I love, oh, fine. You did it on I mean, purpose. I did it on purpose. Because the audience, like, they were with me. And yeah. I, I call it taking the temperature. And this is, once again, you were saying we could talk about coming up as a comedian or mm -hmm. advice for comedians. And I think it's so important to be in tune with the audience. And you can see, like, if it's the kind of audience that wants to hear a lot of stuff about my mom, Maggie. And everybody knows my mom. She's, you know, a national treasure, more famous than I could ever be. And she's funny, you know, or do they want to hear more Trump stuff? Or do they want to hear a story about Cher? Or do they want to hear a story about, you know, something in my personal life? So that's part of the fun, but it's also important that you are always kind of listening and in tune with the audience. Because the great thing about stand-up is the audience really will tell you what, what they want to hear. Yes, and we're going to see it this week. Yes. So kathygriffin.com to always be connected. So you're not yes. one of those people who are like, oh, I missed it when you're in town. <laughs> right. But uh, <laughs> this weekend, Thursday, Calgary, Saturday night here in Vancouver. Yeah. Thank you so much for Thank that in-depth conversation Thank and you. going uh, uh, into detail about what you've been through. I have no secrets anymore, honey. None? Not one F none? left to give. No, none. But there's some secrets. <laughs> okay, there might be yeah. one. Okay. Thank you, Kathy. Thank, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I really you thank you. That. You're so much better than your brother. <laughs> I don't know how he got that job. You're obviously the talented one and much more handsome. Sorry, Rias. In all the turmoil, whatever's going on, I guess it always comes back to the audience. Perform live and listen to the audience and give them what they want. So catheters, go see her show. And for us, chaotic creatives. What did you gain from that interview and how can you apply that to your craft? I'll leave a comment in the review or in the comments. And if you want to find out more about professional artists making in the entertainment industry, subscribe to Chaotic Creative.